Hey, it's Nick Walters here with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest for yet another really super duper episode. And, and as always, we are bringing you uh, folks that know what in the sand hill they're talking about uh, in the industry, or at least at least giving us the impression that they do. How about that? I have nothing else to do. So we are uh, tickled to death um, uh, to be able to have uh, Kurt Forsman on with us, who is a, a cannabis and uh, industry pioneer, which doesn't mean that he's old. It just means that he's been around uh, the bookstore once or twice and um, uh, a seasoned veteran. How about that, Kurt? Would that work? That's Uh, great. Well, look, we are are glad to have you here. He is calling us in today from uh, live from uh, downtown uh, Denver, Colorado, where which is really the epicenter, right, of all stuff cannabis and hemp. I think probably more than anywhere. At least else. we think we're the epicenter. Well, you know, you can't. I can tell you it ain't Pelahatchie, Mississippi. I can tell you it's not. I can tell you where it isn't. How about that? Maybe uh, about where it is. So, thanks for spending some time sure. with us today, and and and. Um, just not to uh, uh, embarrass you, but but tell us uh, uh, about your background and including right. that, if you will, we always like to ask, what is your hemp aha moment? What is right. the time that you went hemp cannabis? Ding, ding. This is yeah. something I want to put my, my, my sure. time into. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, uh, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I am not a PhD in hemp or ESG necessarily, but there are a lot of intersects between those two topics. Uh, And my career weirdly has followed the pathway with a lot of hemp and ESG. Um, I used to work for a real estate company a long time ago. And one of our last projects was building a sustainable community that was powered off solar energy and hydroelectric. And it had its own family farm that served food to the residents of that community. After that, I worked for a renewable energy company called Renova Capital in Denver that financed renewable energy projects that were anything from waste to energy, taking forest residues and converting that into syngas, which would run generators, uh, taking municipal solid waste and fermenting that and and turning that into methane. Um, So I've got experience there. Um, After the renewable energy stint, I joined a company called Dixie Brands, which is a large national cannabis brand. Mm-hmm. I think I was employee number seven over there, um, and I ran their wellness division, which was um, the CBD side of hemp. So I know this discussion is not about CBD, but um, I was one, I'm one of the OGs of CBD. I was thank, lucky enough to get involved in the early beginning uh, of that revolution. We were an early adopter, putting ourselves out there, selling CBD products online, trying to do it as compliantly as possible, modeling them after FDA compliant. Uh, nutritional supplements never got a warning letter from the FDA knock on wood but I think we I think we kind of brought that business into the mainstream the right way uh, with a lot of uh, marketing discipline uh, so I worked there for about eight years see with the wellness division with CBD as well as low THC products uh, and then most recently I've been out on my own kind of um, as an advisor consulting with growth stage cannabis companies helping them raise funding, as well as provide advice for their strategy and operations. So serving in an advisor capacity. And weirdly, my last three clients have all had some element of ESG. Uh, the current, and I guess we'll get into that definition later, but my current um, 
current client Eco Farms is a public benefit corp organized in Delaware. And um, as a public benefit corp, you actually build into your charter um, um, items or uh, I should say policies that return benefits to the community uh, and the local environment. So uh, the, you know, being part of ESG is actually putting your money where your mouth is. It's not talking about, mm. you know, uh, water usage, water savings, energy usage, offsetting carbon footprint. It's actually writing it into your charter so that it becomes part of your, your, uh, your blood as a corporate citizen to do these things. So Eco Farms is a PBC. Earlier this year, I worked with a social equity applicant in Denver. They received the first delivery license in Denver. They're called Duba. And it's a woman-run business, and it's a husband and wife team. And he uh, um, um, had a marijuana felony on his record. This is public info, and and uh, spent some time in jail. And he was, you know, impacted by the war on drugs uh, way back when. And uh, they're a great couple, and they successfully got Denver's first delivery license, uh, which was great. Um, um, and then before that, I worked for a company called Fireland Scientific, which is an Ohio-based medical marijuana vertical. And they're an actual B Corp, which is a third-party certification for ESG. Um, and they're one, they were one of the first uh, medical marijuana companies in the country to have that B Corp certification. And they wrote that stuff under their charter. You know, they would do things like um, give you paid time off for working at a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen. They would give you PTO for doing uh, 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 trail trail restoration or stream bank restoration. Um, they actually had a rule set in their charter that said the executive cannot make more than seven times than the lowest paid employee. And they were serious about it and they, and they implemented it and they, they lived it on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, for me, like my aha moment in um, cannabis and ESG is um, having, the, having been there from the beginning, the humble beginnings of marijuana in Denver, as well as CBD, you know, when we got into this business, it was all about helping customers get well and giving them ther novel therapies that were safe um, once it, once the category became popular, it became a gold rush as everybody knows. And there were a lot of people getting into the business for the wrong reasons. They were getting into it for easy money and profits. And that kind of soured it for me. I was really not into it for the money. I was into it to help people. And I knew if, you know, if you build a company that focuses on the environment as well as the local community, um, as well as an inclusion, uh, in the workplace that, you know, profits are going to follow you. They're going to come at some point. But that was my aha moment was that cannabis and hemp um, is 90%, unfortunately, for better or for worse, really focused on the wrong things. They're focused on money and profitability, which, which is important, but there has to be something more than that for being in cannabis in this guy's opinion. So for me, the reason I work with these companies is I, I select them because they're conscious. They think about the world differently. They take a values-based approach to cannabis and hemp, and they're making money, but they're also returning benefits to the environment in the community in real tangible ways. And for me personally, that's, that's my aha moment. If I'm going to work in this industry that I love, cannabis and hemp, 
I want to work for a conscious company. I really do. I want to work for a company that does great things for their local community, that is aware of the environment and does um, adds benefits to the environment. So that was my aha moment. I'm, I'm a little bitter about how cannabis has got, come and gone over the last 10 to 12 years, but that's kind of made up by the fact that there are real cannabis companies out there who, who are values-based. And for me, that's important. So that's my aha no, moment. No doubt. I, I, some of the folks that I've visited with have said, who, who started much like you in, in the CBD side, um, mm-hmm. said, you know, when I went into a gas station, and I saw it. I was like, "All right, <laughs> that's this is not where we were headed." Okay, right. this is not when I could get it on the shelf next to twenty-four hour, you know, um, <clears throat> um, caffeinated pills, some right. kind of way. And then, then I understood, you that's know, testosterone boosters. That's yes, I mean, you know, that's when I said, "Okay, this thing is this thing's not is not where we were headed, and this was right. not what we wanted to do." All that, so that's interesting to do. Well, well, tell us a little bit about, and and we we, we talked about ESG, and, you know, one of the things that we are interested in in our model, uh, at least through our National Hemp Growers Cooperative, is is creating these these, uh, public benefit corporations that are enabling, helping to kind of connect the dots between corporate America who may feel like they haven't really super duper thought about ESG, but they know they better get on the train. And and so now they're on the train and, they, and they're and they not really sure where the train's taking them. And for them to understand, well, did you know that because of all the myriad of uses of this plant, right. there are some really great ways for us to help you meet your own goals, not to be an ESG consultant. Yeah. We don't want to do that. Okay, that's not our gig. But did they know that they could buy, you know, and whatever those products they might purchase, that that some of that then ends up back into the pockets of our growers. I mean, that's right. our that's our just as an opening statement on just kind of know where we're headed and what we're thinking about. So along those lines, I'd love to get your ideas about kind of the ESG space. Um, and for those that may not be uh, me listening, might not be as familiar. Explain what that means, sure. ESG, okay, and what that really means. And then um, give me an idea if you think that's a yeah. doable opportunity specifically yeah. as a niche thing for for the hemp space. Right. Yeah. So from a definitional perspective, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And another way to look at ESG is uh, triple bottom line. Um, it's about people, environment, and profits. And it's a mindset that companies take in their formation to adopt uh, values that improve the environment and the local community in which they operate. And it's an emerging trend. It's become more critical due to things like climate change, deforestation, diminishing natural resources, increasing populations. And it's become critical because the world is changing. As corporate citizens, we have a responsibility um, not only to focus on our shareholders, the people that own our stock, 
but, but our stakeholders and our stakeholders are the local community. It's the people that work at the company. Uh, and it's also the environment because the planet is kind of getting more constrained with natural resources. Um, we need to be more responsible. We need to implement more actions in our daily corporate lives that uh, preserve the environment, uh, that lift up communities and create connectivity in communities. We can't just be focused on profits. And I think it's incumbent on corporations and their roles as a corporate citizen to do this because they can because they have the resources. And um, I believe if our corporations adopt policies that prioritize uh, the environment, community, and profits, uh, it's gonna make the world a better place. We don't have a choice, we have to. So I think corporations have a big role to play uh, in ESG. And um, to break down what, what that means is, you know, we talk about environmental. Um, so what that could be is implementing policies in your company that reduce your carbon footprint uh, or optimize your waste management. So what does that mean? You could use solar power instead of electricity uh, to be pulling from a grid. Uh, you could be recycling your waste rather than sending it to the dump where it goes to sit. Um, and cannabis in particular, um, water usage is a big hot button. Uh, and hemp in particular uh, really plays into sustainability for the water usage aspect. It uses 50% less water than cotton and some other crops, which makes it a highly sustainable and efficient uh, plant compared to other pure plants. So water usage is always one of the big things cannabis companies are thinking about as it relates to the environment. And a lot of, you know, hemp as itself uses low water, but in an indoor cannabis grow, what you're seeing is a lot of people recycling their water rather than mm -hmm. putting it back into uh, the city septic system. Not just like hydroponics, but you're just saying in what they're kind of using. You don't have to have a whole hydroponics facility to be able to use that. Hydroponics is very sustainable, but indoor grows have use to have water. That. What I'm saying is you don't have to have all that infrastructure yeah, correct. to do a hydroponics thing. You can still do very environmentally positive things with water. One, of the, deep, one, one of the deep, dark secrets of cannabis is wastewater. And it's the truth. If you talk to a lot of cannabis companies, they just discharge their wastewater into the municipal system. States are getting smarter and asking companies to filter it or recycle it. But if you can recycle your water within a cannabis company, that can lead to tons of savings. So this is what we mean by being environmentally sensitive leads to savings. Um, social, so environmental first, social second. Um, so social to me, ESG, the S in ESG is about returning benefits to the local community. It include things like human rights, homelessness, uh, gender and diversity in your employment, um, having clear policies for sexual harassment. It's, it's a people policy, um, fair labor practices. Uh, I've seen the social aspects in my prior companies when uh, working at a homeless shelter. Like I said, Firelands would actually give you PTO. They would pay you to work um, in the community. Uh, working at a homeless shelter. So for me, like returning benefit to the community is all about contributing to the local community where your where your business is located. And that can be anything. That can be, you know, um, homelessness or um, 
or, or you know, community building, um, helping build homes for, you know, people that need homes built. It could be any of those things, returning benefit to the community, companies that prioritize that. And then the G in ESG is governance, uh, which is um, diversity and inclusion at the leadership level. So we want our leaders, our managers, and our board members to look like what society looks like today. We need to have a high degree of diversity in all those aspects and in all those management levels to, to best represent our community and our employees. So what, what, what the data shows is that companies that implement ESG, environment, social, governments, um, actually outperform their peers because they're taking a values-based approach, a long-term approach to being a corporate citizen, but they outcompete their peers when, uh, in terms of profitability, in terms of valuation, in terms of revenue growth, in terms of customer loyalty. Um, there's, a, there's a tangible financial benefit to companies who put environment and people first. And it's, it's not BS, it's proven out in the numbers. There's a ton of studies on how companies who adopt ESG outperform their peers. Uh, and this is particularly cogent in COVID um, because um, ESG also builds resilience. In other words, if you're getting your power from solar or renewable sources versus the grid, which is ultimately tied to coal or fossil fuels, uh, you know, during the pandemic and supply chain shortages, you know, the delivery of fossil fuels and coal was slow, which meant prices went up for energy. But if you're off the grid and if you're using solar or geothermal or hydroelectric, your cost does not increase. So that's a very simple example. But ESG also equals resiliency, particularly in these uncertain times. That's really cool. So, so, so um before we kind of connect it back to where and I think most of our folks can understand all the different <clears throat> it could be everything from bioplastics to hemp paper to you know it could be uh, you 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 as an uh, um, a corporation may not you know be connecting to you know renewable power uh, as much as you'd like to but you could doggone sure be doing a lot of other things right. where hemp could be a, a part of that. You know, a, a big question about it is that, that I've just wondered, Kurt, is is how do you know that you've arrived? How do you know that you are ESG OK? I mean, who is who's the us? Right. It's kind of like the Oscars to me right now. Right. Yeah. So who gets the best Oscar? Well, she does. Well, why? Well, because we said so. And so who's we? Well, we as us is the Academy. OK, yeah. where you notice down, I, maybe that's I'm not putting that in the clear. No, no, I, get it. I mean, how do you really know that you have made it or not made it? Yeah. So there there's an increasing um, demand from investors when investors invest in companies driven a lot by BlackRock and Larry Fink, who kind of created these the whole awareness for ESG. A while ago, there's an increasing demand for um, ESG disclosures. So if you're a public company, that's a part of your your annual filings is your scorecard and track record on what the company's doing for ESG. So ESG disclosures are becoming increasingly important for public companies. Um, and then the ultimate way for uh, to get certified or stamped for ESG 
is the B Corp certification. That's kind of the extreme, but B Corp certification is a certification provided by a third-party auditor who actually goes through about 200 KPIs in your company Whoa. and ranks you on all those things I talked about, you know, water usage, community development, renewable power, waste usage. And they're like a good housekeeping seal of approval. They're uh, autonomous third-party uh, auditors um, that give you a, a B Corp score. And it's all benchmarked under a common standard. And you can, you can score yourself. And I think you need to get 80 out of 200 to be considered um, a B Corp. So what that tells you is that it's very hard to get you know, 200 out of 200, if not impossible. Um, but there's third-party companies who will certify you as certified B Corp. It's kind of like the organic certification, which I think is run by USDA, but you know, promulgated at state levels. Um, it's, it's similar for uh, for ESG is is that third party auditing function. Interesting. So that's Very the cool. day. <laughs> I think that's yeah, that's the day. The day. That's, uh, <laughs> right. And and so it, it could very well be, as I understand it, just from your perspective on it, is that new corporations, right, that are starting out, can say, here are some policies that we are going to adopt. You can't audit anything because we hadn't done it yet, but we right. at least know that these are things that we're headed toward and things that are important to us as a corporation, as we grow and do, because there seems to be, you know, particularly in the, in this hemp industry, there's all kinds of, I think, you know, new entities popping up all the time that are trying to find different ways to partner and different ways to work together. And they, and they may not have that background. Yeah. I mean, you make, you make a good point. So there's also the consumer side of things when, when we, as people, when companies, as corporate citizens decide to do business with mm -hmm. suppliers, vendors, customers, um, that's becoming part of the decision-making process is how conscious, how sustainable is the supplier that I'm doing business with. And it's actually starting to impact purchase decisions and partnering decisions. Uh, so stakeholders is, is another one of the days, as you talked about, it's, it's, um, um, people are voting with their wallet. You've heard that yeah. phrase before. And um, they spend their money with companies that share uh, the same values. And we've seen it at the shelf uh, in a store. You know, um, my kids are millennials. They're in that age group. And there's a very popular study that Bank of America did in 2018 about consumer preferences and if you're if a con, if a consumer is looking at two products side by side in a store, whether that's a hemp textile or hemp hemp ingestible or any product for that matter, um, people are going to prioritize the products that uh, have supply chain transparency, are fair trade, that are organic and sustainable versus the product that isn't. Because I, I think companies and people are really starting to vote based on values right now make decisions on values. Um, here's some interesting facts. That study, I'm sure you're familiar with it, said 87% of millennials uh, make a retail purchase decision based on values. That's important to the majority of millennials. Uh, Gen X, is uh, it's, it's a little less important at 65%. Baby boomers, it's at 48% uh, are building values into their purchase metrics. 
And then interestingly, women versus men, 64% of women versus 46% of men incorporate that value matrix when they're making a, a purchase decision at the shelf. So when we talk about the they, it's also about the stakeholders who are you know, patronizing your company, whether they're a customer or a vendor or a supplier. Right, right, right. So it's, it's, it's um, headed to a spot, I think, where you might even, you know, somebody's going to be able to put a sticker on a product or something to be able to say, you know, just like organic certified. Hey, you can this do one that. Is, you know? Yeah, you can do that now with the B Corp cert. Uh, you can actually use the stamp on your product. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's like the extreme because it's very expensive to audit and do a third-party B Corp certification. But it's it's important enough to companies like Dr. Bronner's, Plum Organics, Numi Tea, Ben & Jerry's, New Belgium, Athleta, Body Shop, Honest Company, Seventh Generation. If you look at those products, they actually have a B Corp. It's a little circle. It's like the uh, B Corp circle uh, on their back of their packaging. And that really says it all to a consumer because they can just turn around and look at the label and see that little B Corp label. And they're going to prioritize that, that product. But you, it, it plays into brand, as you're sure. intimating right there. Um, it's, it's, it's not greenwashing. Like I said, it's about actually implementing these policies in your business and, and executing these things is how you get a B Corp certification. Um, but yeah, you can, uh, it also helps with the brand. It creates higher consumer loyalty. Because think about it. We all, we all feel better when we patronize a B Corp or a sustainable company. So the data shows that it has actually led to uh, more consumer stickiness uh, um, and more consumer loyalty. Uh, but it also um, kind of creates a meta brand effect, if you will. It, it makes your brand more than about just the emotional connection with the consumer. It, 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 it puts values first in the brand is what I'm trying to say. Well, and something that, that probably goes back to our, uh, what we do uh, through the co-op as well. One of those supply chain issues, just use this as an example. It could very well be that they're, they're going back and say, well, then, you know, what regenerative agricultural practices do we make sure at the co-op level that we are requiring, you know, of the way that the hemp is grown and cultivated and for the hemp crop? You now, one of our growers could maybe not be doing that for something else they're growing. Right. But uh, but but for what we're doing, this is part of the requirements. And part of that is not just because this is something that we've set as our standard, although that may be great. It may very well be. Look, this is specifically what the end consumers look. I mean, know what the what the, the the customer is, the one that is actually buying our herd or the fiber or the whatever it is that we're making out of it. They are requiring this. So if you want to get in on this game and you want to be able to get this price point for your crop, then these are the boxes you're going to have to check. And part of what what right. we're doing as well is making sure that we're getting those things implemented so that when a grower says, well, I don't know what all that is. I'm not even sure what that looks like. Then we've got, you know, mm -hmm. a standard and an SOP, for lack of a better way of saying it, to say, well, this is the way you're going to right. have to sign off to that you're going to be able to grow it. So. I think. I think um, like you as a nonprofit, um, I think you're a nonprofit, <laughs> National Hemp Growers Association. Not yet, but we are. We're getting um, there. It, it's, it's, it's incumbent on trade groups such as yours to um, 
also enforce those standards, uh, become a um, maybe not to the rigor of a B Corp, but um, implement, you know, certain baseline standards with your members uh, and create that benchmark uh, for your members. Um, it's it's incumbent on the trade groups to do that. And um, that that's uh, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, membership membership in your organization, you know, requires companies to adhere to these, you know, five to 10 uh, sustainability standards in hemp. And of course you got to go out and audit them or someone needs to go audit them right. to, to validate. Right. But I, th I think trade groups have a huge role to play in creating those ESG and sustainability standards. I agree. I, I agree. Agree. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, give us some, some insight as we, as we head out. Um, uh, for kind of what your crystal ball is for 2022, um, what 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 uh, excites you to watch and to to pay attention to uh, as far as it relates to the hemp industry? Yeah, I think um, you know going back to hemp and its sustainable nature. Um, you know, generally speaking, I think you know we talk about water sustainability. It does use 50 percent less water than than peer plants. Um, it grow, grows in any soil with, without much help. That's why they call it a weed. So not a lot of pesticides or fertilizers are actually required to grow hemp. Right. Uh, it, it also has the ability. Go ahead. No, no. Sorry. I, no, I thought you inter interjected. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's all, it's all, I, I wrote down some facts. So obviously I'm just going through these. Um, um okay. It's also super dense as a growing, um, uh, genetic. Uh, I read that you can plant 500,000 plants an acre if you want. So the ability to stack hemp on a piece of ground is a lot higher than, say, other industrial textiles. Um, so I think in terms of sustainability, when I think of hemp and ESG, I think of sustainability. It's an agricultural crop. It's very efficient and resilient and drought tolerant, which makes it um, you know, low, it, make, it means it has a lower impact on the environment than some of the other crops out there. What, what excites me about moving forward is um, taking hemp uh, is biofuels and battery storage. So I think we all know hemp's many uses includes everything from CBD to textiles to protein to building materials. What excites me about hemp is kind of this hemp 3.0 direction the industry is headed. And I, and I know a lot of this stuff is not yet commercial, it's an R&D, but there's a lot of investment in companies mm -hmm. focused on using hemp as a biofuel, like we talked about at the beginning of this call, or using hemp to create methane in an anaerobic digester. Uh, so I would love to see a way uh, for that to get commercial on a big scale is using hemp as a cellulosic biofuel uh, or a fermentation feedstock. Uh, and then the other one is um, um, hemp as a supercapacitor. There's a lot of emerging research, particularly out of University of Austin, uh, that has um, uh, hemp because of its torsional rigidity. It's got a very long molecule, so it's very um, it's very stable, but it's got a long molecule. Uh, they make great um, what's called um, um, graphene. Right. carbon nano sheets. So the building blocks of a battery are these things called hemp uh, uh, nano sheets that you basically stack up next to each other in a battery. 
And that excites me a lot, considering where we are as a country going, everything's becoming electric, cars are becoming electric. And, you know, that's a very, that's a high impact industry, whether you're mining uh, lithium or other rare metals, rare earth materials to make batteries. It seems like hemp would be a natural to roll into the battery world. And, and I know that has a long way to go with commercialization, but there've been early studies that hemp is an incredible supercapacitor, which is a fast charge battery, uh, which works well for cars. So personally, I would love to, that excites me the most. Cause for me, that seems like one of the highest and best use of hemp is converting it into battery storage or a battery source. And I'm not a, I'm not a PhD on engineering, so don't, I can't tell you how it works, but I just know it's an emerging trend. And that's what really excites me about Hansa okay. is, is that future. That's exciting. I think as well too. And that's, that's why we're excited about doing kind of a ESG hemp connection. We want to be that portal between corporate entities and, and, um, uh, production facilities, some of which we may own, some of we may not, some of we may be JVing with, or uh, but then ultimately, how do we have uh, create you know financial growth you know in our for our members and doing it in a sustainable way and doing it in a regenerative ag way? If we can find a way to be that conduit to help connect those right. groups. That's part of what we do every day and doing things like this podcast and having great folks like yeah. you, Kurt, come on and talk to us about it. Help us to do that. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, if folks wanted to reach out to you and learn more about what you do, um, where would you suggest they might connect? Yeah, so my email is uh, Kurt, K-U-R-T, at uh, Forceman Dev. That's my last name, spelled F as in Frank. O-R, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, David Edward Victor.com. Kurt at forcedmandev.com is my email. Or you can find me at um, eco-farm.ag. That's, that's the California company I work for. That's eco-farm.ag. But Perfect. thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, folks, thanks for tuning in and listening to yet a, a tremendous um, podcast where we are able to bring to you consistently. We have yet to bring you a credit episode. So uh, uh, once again, we've got a, another great episode for, for you to hear about what's going on with the folks with, 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 uh, within the industry as well, too. Hey, if you haven't signed up for NOCO yet, do that if you are interested and want to really, really learn more about what's going on in industrial hemp and, and the whole industry. Uh, the NOCO um, convention and expo going on the 24th, 25th and 26th of, of March uh, in Denver is where you need to be. So keep that in mind. Kurt, thanks again. We appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Great day. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.